Sir Desmond Sterling in The Tale-Tale Nipple, Episode 4 I was having a very unproductive day in Kew. I wasn't gawping at the pansies, you understand, but having a rummage at the records office. An idiot nephew of mine lived in the neighbourhood, and I'd originally asked him to check some files for me, but his confused babbling soon convinced me that I'd be better off doing the legwork myself. But answers found I none. Either the Discornley lineage had ceased at Wipers, as previously believed, or else no one had fessed up to the Discornley parentage on birth certificates. Whichever was true, proving the veracity of the ghostly Sir Jasper's claim was turning out to be a thorny pickle. I hadn't mentioned nipples to my wretched son-in-law, Darren Frognall. Chaps don't admit they've been staring at another chap's chest. Besides, I felt I needed to absorb the gen that Frognall was in possession of a superfluous boob, and work out how it might fit into this perplexing jigsaw. I was surprised that my daughter hadn't mentioned that her husband had this anatomical discrepancy, or even that it wasn't used during the wedding, when the vicar asked if anyone had any just cause why the marriage should not go ahead. I would have thought that while a third knocker may be a positive boon for a wife, it would be a definite black mark for a cove, particularly when the existing two are already rather pointless. My mind was a whirlpool of hypotheses and suspicions as I left the leafy suburb. I have the cerebrum of a master storyteller, and I was shuffling my ideas into a coherent shape. Much like when I am assembling one of my best-selling novels, I was so distracted by the labyrinthine possibilities in my vast brain that I found I had automatically driven to Shea Frognall. This struck me as particularly serendipitous, a salute subconscious. I found Frognall at home, sitting in front of his word processor, which is an electronic typewriter for those who can't afford secretaries. I didn't allow him to get a word in edgeways. I told him nothing of my theories. I just suggested firmly, with no room for manoeuvre, that he spend the night with me in the haunted room. He, unsurprisingly, didn't look too thrilled at the idea, but I was adamant. I claimed that I needed a witness to whatever might happen there when I next confronted the ghost of Sir Jasper, and I pandered to his ridiculously bloated ego by saying that everyone would believe a writer of his calibre. The straight face I managed to maintain was one of my great achievements. He said that he doubted that Sir Jasper would even show up if there was a third party present. I secretly agreed with that, but for reasons I kept to myself. Later that night, once I'd infiltrated his throat with a couple of stiff ones, we had settled ourselves back in the haunted room at the top of my club, Aberdens. I'd managed to sneak Frognall in by thrusting a wad of crisp onces in the night porter's outstretched paw. Frognall looked around the haunted box-room with distaste. For a man who waxed lyrical about the grittiness and truth of the council estate, he was remarkably prissy about his surroundings. Those of us who've been to war can find comfort in anywhere that doesn't have snipers trying to get in. Unnoticed by him, I quietly locked the door behind us 
and pocketed the key. Nothing had changed since I'd left the room. But why should it? It was only the previous night that I'd had my spooky encounter there, although it seemed as though a year had passed. I hadn't slept much in the past forty-eight hours, and my weariness was threatening to catch up with me. But I had plans for this evening, and it had to wait until midnight. Frognall was uncharacteristically silent. Usually one can't shut him up. He's either boasting about his awards or film deals, or, or else he's banging on about how awfully some poor billionaire has behaved. I rarely listen when anyone else is talking, as my own thoughts are quite good enough for me. But this evening, Frognall's nonsense would have passed the time. Rather than enduring the silence and Frognall's shallow breaths, I filled the gaps myself, regaling us with amusing anecdotes about the war or past sexual conquests. Several titbit columns worth of material, but none of it raised even a titter from the Bolshebard. Not even when I bemoaned the loss of Rhodesia from the Commonwealth did it provoke one of his communistic tirades. What could be troubling him? At last, the clock began to strike midnight. Frognall seemed to wake from his torpor and said, It looks like a no-show from your ghost, so we might as well call in a night. I said nothing. He went to the door and turned the handle. It didn't open, of course. Irked, dare I say, panicky. He demanded I open the door. But I wasn't letting him away that easily. You must think me a pretty feeble fellow, young Frognall, I told him. A twenty-four carat semolina-headed dolt. I saw right through you from the start of this business. This is just your clumsy and frankly inexpertly plotted way of getting yourself a knighthood. So much for being the Trotsky of terror. Typical lefty, you rail against the establishment while being desperate to be part of it. Look at that painting. I pointed at the portrait above the mantelpiece. I thought it looked familiar. Couldn't put my finger on it at first. But of course it does. It's you. And the ghost last night, that was you too, wasn't it? Don't bother denying it. A quick visit to Berman's, some frills, a flouncy wig, an improbable crepe hair. Lo and behold, Darren Frognall, the Castro of creepiness, becomes the mythical Sir Jasper de Scornley. He denied nothing, but neither did he admit it. I will admit there was some remarkable sleight of hand. That Sonne Lumiere, for example. How did you manage that? Mickey Finn in my drink? Hypnosis? And then there was the nipple, very ingenious, but too rubbery to be convincing. I ripped open his shirt, grabbed the extraneous nipple and tugged. His eyes crossed in pain. Oh, that was real, was it? I continued blithely, quickly removing my hand from his chest, lest he get any ideas. But I'll admit, I'm impressed at the lengths you went to. The backstory, the costume, the conjuring. Just a shame you don't put so much effort into your ghastly books. Oh, I was enjoying this. But why wasn't he responding? I expected rebuttals or outrage or at the very least some sort of bluster. The cove wasn't even looking at me while I was ridiculing him. 
His eyes were open very wide, almost with terror, and he seemed to be staring at something behind me. I whirled around. The ghost of Sir Jasper de Scorny stood there, eyes blazing, his sword raised as though to strike. Ah, bang went that fairy. Bugger. My brain raced nineteen to the dozen as I processed this latest development. I had been quite convinced that Frognall was behind this whole charade, but here we both were, faced with the spook himself. I glanced back at Frognall. He'd gone quite white, and while his eyes were fixed on Sir Jasper, his hand was clawing uselessly at the door handle. What you, Sir Desmond? Have you found me spawn? I pointed back at Frognall. Yes, he's here. I heard a loud gulp from behind me. Sir Jasper stared at Frognall. This little livered whelp. That's not my fault, I spluttered. I just found him. Don't blame me, he's from your gene pool. And what makes you think this bowl of cold broth is of me bloodline? I turned to Frognall. Show him your nipple. He stared at me wide-eyed. Open your shirt and flash him your extra boob, I hissed. I rated his dim-wittedness, unsurprising as it was. When he didn't respond, I impatiently began to undo his buttons. He pushed my hands away and held his shirt open and turned his head away like a virgin awaiting a vampire's bite. Don't be coy, lad. The discornly pup is an appendage of pride. The ectoplasmic lout peered hard at Frognall's chest. With the tip of his sword, he poked the third nipple. Frognall winced, the big Jesse. That's the discornly tit, all right. So what now? I asked, seeing as how Frognall was still speechless with terror. Sir Jasper returned his sword to its sheath. I can give you proof of your lineage. It will regain you the family title. Any land? asked Frognall, perking up the greedy shit. Or treasure? The discordly lands were carved up and scavenged a long time since, along with my family wealth. Frognall tried not to look too disappointed. So what proof exactly? I asked. Sir Jasper smirked. Belay ya! First you have to prove you're worthy! Wasn't the family udder sufficient? I asked. The ghost shrugged. That proved the bloodline, but I've yet to see any evidence of the pedigree. I need to believe he has me fire in his veins. Hmm, he's on a hiding to nothing there, I thought, knowing my son-in-law as I do. All underpants and no clockweights, that one. Not the foggiest what my daughter saw in him, but after years in a nunnery, anyone with the merest whiff of the Y chromosome will suffice, one presumes. But the wretch was family when all is said and done, so I felt I should show some support, however dishonest. Whatever you want him to do, he'll do, I claimed. 
even if he hasn't given me grandchildren yet. All my troubles started when some scoundrel grasped me up to me, Peter. I gasped. What utter rotter would do that? My father was such an old fool. I could have had me way with a maid right under his nose and he wouldn't have noticed. But someone told him everything. About me debts, me whoring, me being banned from court for initiating the Prince of Wales himself to the Brethren of Lucifer. You know, in other circumstances, Sir Jasper and yours truly could have been the best of chums. But what bounder blabbed, I asked. Was it one of your brothers? Sir Jasper blew a contemptuous raspberry. Those frilly, panting mollies would never have dared. You know why? Because I would have slit their buttocks asunder with me E.P. and they knew it. Well, who then? I inquired. Me oldest enemy. A foppish knave who cheats at games and tattles about you behind your back. I challenged him to a duel after I caught him knee-trembling me valet. The cur didn't show up. Instead, he rode to me father and blabbed it all that I was a gambling, whoring dastard who was blackening the family name. The knave had a point, though. I should have introduced the insolent puppy to the point of me sword before leaving the country, but he'd scurried into hiding. So, who was this appalling blabbermouth? I asked. Sir Jasper spat out the name. Lord Herbert Pilchard! He pointed his bony finger at Frognall. And ye must kill his descendant. Frognall looked appalled, but not as much as I was. The Pilchards were an old, if undistinguished, family whose aristocratic standing had diminished over the years, descending into the middle class and trade, albeit as founders of the old Pilchards of Luton chain of shops. And how do I know this, darling listener? My late mother was a Pilchard, and Frognall had just been charged with killing yours truly. <laughs> Sir Desmond Sterling, in The Tale Tale Nipple, was written and performed by Anthony Keach.